I'm Haley Oaks, and this is Milk Trails, a journey in the out-of-hospital birth experience. It's the middle of March, and Sianna is 35 weeks pregnant with a plan to give birth in the hospital. Meanwhile, the coronavirus pandemic has spread to the U.S., and the mandated lockdown has begun. As a Black presenting Mexican woman, she is aware of her risks of birthing in a hospital simply because of the way she looks. Now compounded by the risk of COVID-19, Sianna and her husband felt it was safer for her to birth at home, something in fact they had always desired. It was only the beginning of surrendering to the journey and its many twists and turns ahead. I'm so happy and honored to talk to you about your birthing experience. Um, A little background for everyone. Sianna and I have known each other since middle school, grew up together, and... um, yeah. So the last time we talked, you messaged me, middle of March, the coronavirus lockdown has begun and you're 35 weeks pregnant and yeah. considering switching to a home birth from a planned hospital birth up until that point. So on so many levels, I had many <laughs> questions and thoughts, but tell me what what was happening for you? What were your, you know, what were your thoughts and feelings? How did you and Peter come to that decision of, of switching um, kind of late in the game? Yeah. So um, my experience was pretty wild, even up to that point, right? I had found out I was pregnant um, at like five months. So um, I found out in November I was pregnant and I was due in April. So I already felt like I was on this like fast track, um, and, and it made me feel pretty limited in my decisions and not because I like for any specific reason, other than I just felt like the timeline was super short. So I was like, well, I have the OB that I have and like, this is the practice I'm with and this is what I'm doing. Um, and she only births at like does births at this hospital. So these are my options. Like, I really don't feel like I have time to go find another practitioner. And, um, and also like the birth plan that I had always thought that I would have and the experience I would have, which was hopefully like being in a cabin in the woods and like being surrounded by incredible women to support me through this process. I was like, okay, that's out the window where this is what we're doing. Um, So that's how sort of my process had been um, up to that point anyway. I always knew that I wanted a doula. So I had immediately, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I went, I found a doula through Roots of Labor Birth Collective in Oakland that um, I'd known about for years and been really excited about their work they were doing with training women of color to be doulas and supporting women in Santa Rita Rita Jail to be... um, be supported by doulas. And so I was like, great, I'll find a woman of color that can support me in that way. And, and I'll be in the hospital. Um, And so I had had some fears and concerns around being in a hospital anyway. Um, You know, never been a big fan of going to the doctor, working with doctors, being in hospitals. Um, And so I, I was a little in a strange way excited that I was being forced into this new space of like, okay, now we have to revisit that, um, that original plan that you had kind of already had. Uh, and so in a, in a strange way, the coronavirus made me, um, shift into this space that I think I needed to be in any way. And it, and I just needed to be pushed there, um, a little bit more. So I let the virus push me, um, and it worked out. It was wonderful. That's amazing that it took, yeah. I mean, it takes 
yeah, like a pandemic to like reconsider things that perhaps just seemed off the table. And now it became like something that, yeah, you, you, it's like now or never, if we, if we, if if you want to do it, you do it now. And what was that process like for you in switching um, to midwives? Like, how did you find your midwives and and how did you sort of like break up with your OB and Mm. feel, did you feel pressure from family or friends to go a different way or? Yeah. So I had had this, um, this OB for a while and she was a nurse practitioner that I'd, I'd worked with when I was, you know, in my twenties and I thought she was great, really liked her insurance changed, had to leave their practice. And then once I decided that, you know, we were looking at potentially having a baby, I returned back to her practice. Then when I got pregnant, I found out as a nurse practitioner, she couldn't deliver. Um, And so there was another doctor that she worked with, the only other doctor. um, And so like, she was my option. But I'd never met her before, never worked with her. And the only thing I knew about her was another friend of mine, also a Black woman, had been under her care um, and unfortunately had a pretty negative experience with her. And it was a situation that a lot of women of color experience within the medical system where, you know, I'm telling you that something is not right within my body and um, you're not listening to me. You're not taking me seriously. You're brushing me off. Um, And unfortunately she had to get a second opinion and found out something was wrong and had like immediate surgery um, to deal with the issue she was having. So I was like, cool, this is the person who's going to be supporting me during my birth. Um, And, and I don't really have another option within this, this process. And like I said before, I felt at the time, like, I don't have the time or space to go hunt for a new practice, find a new provider. Um, so leading up to the point where I'm, I'm making that decision to shift, I had only met her twice at that point and maybe for five minutes each. So I wasn't really connected to her, really hadn't talked to her very much. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't even tell her um, that I decided to not birth uh, with her. And I um, I think I, I had had my last appointment that I was going to have with her anyway um, before I was giving birth. And so I, I just went about my business. I talked to as many folks as I could in the Bay Area. And I know I reached out to you. It was like, if you know anyone, um, I was, you know, open to as many folks as people wanted to recommend to me, was really excited to potentially have a woman of color support me as a midwife. Um, and so I got all the recommendations I could. And there were two women that have a practice together that had been recommended on like three different lists. And I was like, okay, but let me start with them. Um, and, you know, they were really clear. Our doula knew them. And so our doula reached out and talked to them. And they were really clear about the fact that a lot of women um, and birthing people were now in this space where they were fearfully shifting to home births. And they really, and it's something that you would talk to me about as well, just, um, you know, that I think when I talked to you, were like four people reached out to me this morning, like, trying to shift to home births and, and we're really close to, to their due dates. Um, and so they wanted to be really mindful that I wasn't rushing into a decision that 
could ultimately lend me to having to go to the hospital anyway, right? Because um, I'm, I'm not prepared and haven't been doing work around getting ready to have an unmedicated home birth. Um, and that that could ultimately lead me to, to transferring. And so I like prepared my little email and I was like, no, 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 like I am really passionate about birth and I have, you know, I, I love um, women and I love birthing people and I've done a lot of research and, and it just so happens that I had decided on a hospital birth, but I, I really am excited about this opportunity. And so, um, they believed me and they did a video <laughs> call with myself and Peter and, um, right away we, they were the only people we interviewed. We were like, they're amazing. You know, if, if, they'll take us like we would love to have them and um so they agreed and we started on our like four-week journey together before uh, Sadie arrived and also these these visits are probably also like modified in time and maybe even masks so like it's just not only is it like a rushed amount of time to get to know each other but also there's like this weird other barrier because of COVID that yeah. you're trying that you're having to navigate as well totally so. yeah I mean I think we did um, two virtual sessions together and then two in person and the two in, and also a lot of it for them is that they're wanting to minimize any exposure for us. Right. Cause they're still seeing other patients and, um, and so, and they were masked. Uh, so I thought it was pretty funny. I think during the labor, um, one of the midwives, like it was the first time that I ever saw her whole face. Um, cause she just got super, wow. our house was really hot. So she took off her mask and, and I was like, but I'm like, we're in this space. Like you're in all of me. Like, let's just do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and then the other one, I never saw her in person without her mask on. So, um, it's pretty wild mm -hmm. to go through such an intimate experience with that barrier. Um, mm. yeah. but also just goes to show like, clearly, you know, there's so much more to the connection than like, than, you know, someone's just their way, the way their face looks, you know, it's right. obviously like the energy they put off and the, what they're communicating to you. And, um, so speaking of Peter, what was, where was he in all this? What were his feelings? Like, I mean, given that he is your husband, he obviously was probably exposed to a lot of your interests in birth, you know, prior to, um, expecting a child, but yeah, what, what, was, what were his sort of things that he was airing out? Yeah. So we both in talking about, um, childbirth before I got pregnant, were leaning towards home birth, um, for different reasons. Uh, my experience and, you know, the lived experience of other women of color, um, has been pretty negative with our medical system. And so that's where a lot of my perspective and hesitancy was there. And for him, um, he has a military background. And so his experience with hospitals um, has also been pretty negative from that perspective. And so we both went into that space um, really supportive of each other that you know, we wanted to, to have this experience outside uh, of hospitals. And so I was grateful for that. And then he was really on board um, when I, like, he watched a lot of videos with me leading into the experience um, and listened to some of your podcast episodes and listened to other 
women talk about their birthing experience. And so he did a lot to support me, but also to prepare himself um, for the experience, which I was really grateful for. And and I think it's so unfortunate that a lot of non-birthing people um, end up having a lot of fear around the experience for lack of exposure, for the narrative that's put out in our culture and through our media. Um, and so what it that ends up leading to people just not wanting to know anything. And then they get into the mm-hmm. space and don't really know how to process their own feelings and how to support their partner at the same time. Um, and so I felt really grateful that he showed up in that way and was ready to, to show up fully for me. Yeah. And also, I think because it's such a big experience that to take ownership of it in some way is also a little bit too much responsibility for people in case anything happens. Like they want to just leave it to professionals to then also place blame if something were to happen instead of, you know, and not like fully kind of owning like, you know, the, the experience a little bit more, but it's cause it's a big, it's a big thing, but yeah, it's super brave and courageous that like both of you were, were, you know, wanting to take it on, you know, head on, just so cool. Um, so, you know, um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I mean, I hope people know that like, yes, there are like serious, you know, disparities of, you know, health outcomes for black mothers and babies in this country, especially like when cared for in quotes by healthcare, healthcare providers who don't look like you know, who don't look like women of color, like, did you know this? Do you know this? Or did you had you experienced this personally? So, um, no, I hadn't. Hi, Sadie. Um, No, I hadn't experienced it personally. Um, And I think a big piece of that is because of the lived experiences of women around me, other women of color, um, and the narrative that I experienced within um, Black communities, is this is not something that we don't talk about, right? Um, I have shied away from hospitals and doctors quite a bit, which I didn't realize until I got older. Um, so as much as I advocate for like access to healthcare and people going to the doctor, I rarely ever. I'm not like a annual checkup person. Um, And a lot of that, I think, goes back to fear around the care that I or, you know, quote, care that I would receive um, from a doctor, especially because at different points in my life, I haven't lived in communities that have doctors of color where I would be able to be supported by women who look like me. And so you know, the, the stories and, and learning about forced sterilization that was happening for Black women and indi- Indigenous women and, and Latina women, other women of color um, up until the 80s, right, without their knowledge being sterilized, going in for something completely different um, or during labor, during C-sections being sterilized. Um, you know, I knew and heard about those stories and was really fearful um, of that reality. And while I was pregnant, I I didn't share with my colleagues um, that I was pregnant for 
quite a while, which I guess in that timeline would be like a month. Um, Because right, as women, we also have to navigate what that means for our jobs. So um, I I didn't share that information for a bit. And um, one of my colleagues is a black man and and is married to a black woman. Um, They ended up having a child three months before um, their due date. And so um, I actually was spending some time with him in preparation to let him know. And he ended up sharing the story and their experience um, with the healthcare system. And, you know, she had gone in because she was having severe pain related to ovarian cysts. And Mm -hmm. so she, you know, got checked in and, and was in the hospital and the pain wasn't getting better. And she's trying to tell the nurses and doctors like, Hey, at this, like something is wrong, right? It it doesn't feel right. Um, And they continued to tell her this is normal, right? For the experience that you're having, like this level of pain is expected and it's normal and there's nothing we can do about it either. Um, And so she's continuing to try to tell the people around her that are there to help her what she's experiencing and they're simply not listening to her. Um, and she comes to find out hours later, she had been in labor the whole time and they didn't know because they didn't examine her thoroughly and they weren't listening to her. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's stories like these that we hear and people that we come across that we know and care about and love that go through these atrocious situations um, and then we're expected to show up and trust the system to serve us differently. And so um, I ended up sharing with him, I think at the end of his sharing with me that I, I was actually pregnant um, and getting ready to birth. And so, you know, he felt like I, I'm so sorry. I just, oh. I just told you that. Um, but luckily, be, you know, I had known um, of, of experiences like that before and was prepared for those um, those realities. And it's something that I heavily considered when I was trying to decide how it was going to um, go through my birthing process. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's a lot to carry on top of the stress that already comes with caring for a life um, and, and preparing to deliver. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, how did, did you, how did you find that like you needed that extra support of like, positive birthing stories from women of color like or or re- talking to your midwives or or yeah did you find that you needed extra support in that way emotionally you know mentally in, in carrying that extra unfortunate insane burden yeah I think the knowledge of those realities for women who look like me was a huge piece of the reason why I wanted to have specifically a dual of color. I also was really intentional to make sure I had someone who had supported births with the hospital that I was going to be birthing at. Um, and so I could talk to her about what those experiences looked like. And she confirmed for me that um, some of the experiences had been okay, but a lot of them did support the narrative that I, I already expected. And so um, we did a lot of talking about, how I can advocate for myself in the moment, right? Of like not being in a space of feeling super rushed to make decisions when a doctor might tell me like, it's go time to to make this decision that I can ask them to step out of the room and to consult with my doula or my partner if I want to. Um, And then we also talked a lot about how Peter can leverage his privilege as a white man to step in if it really felt like 
I was expressing concern or my needs weren't being met um, and that it might be an opportunity for him to really leverage in, in that space. And so that felt good to acknowledge it and to also prepare for that reality. Yeah, because it's not, it's again, like there's, there's an added, there's the added pressure of like, you know, what a lot of women, you know, a lot like white women or people not of color go into uh, the hospital wanting unmedicated birth and they come armed with their like birth, you know, birth preferences and their doula and their partner. But that is to achieve an unmedicated birth. You know, there's a, there's another layer of like wanting unmedicated birth for a woman of color, but also to like be safe and have like a live healthy outcome for both you and baby, which is, you know, which, yeah, it it just adds another layer that is, is wild. Um, Right. With the additional layer of the pandemic, right. Right. The concerns that I had around not knowing where doctors were like before they come in my room and, and, you know, what exposure that, they're having for their nursing staff and for themselves. And so just holding that additional fear and concern on top of the lived experiences that other folks are having with my background um, and knowing that I'm trying, going to have to try to process all of this while trying to have a healthy and safe birth. Yeah, it's, that's so much. And so, um, so I want to hear about, the labor and birth. So you are how many weeks pregnant when you go into labor? I'm 40 weeks. So I gave birth one day before her expected due date, um, which is crazy, right? Like I was going into it prepared for like two, three weeks late, asking all the questions around, like, what is it? What's it going to mean if we get to that point? Um, and, you know, at, as you're at that point, the idea of being pregnant any longer is just like, please don't do this to me, man. Like, I'm talking to Sadie every day, like, you know, you're making your way, you know, <laughs> just like doing my best to manifest and visualize um, and eating my dates and just doing what I can to really prepare. And so I woke up at like 3 a.m. on April 19th to go to the bathroom every hour as I had been for weeks. And I felt just like an extra, and I had been having Braxton Hicks. So I knew what these practice contractions were feeling like. And one of my really big concerns was like, how am I going to know? Cause I keep mm-hmm. having these practice contractions and these Braxton Hicks. And so how am I going to know when it's like the real thing? Um, and so I was having one and then I, at the end of it, I felt like an extra little kick, like, uh, almost what felt like a period cramp just a little bit and I was like ha that's different mm-hmm. um but let me not read into it and just let me just pee and get back in bed and go to sleep and if I get one again then I'll then I'll see what's up and so 10 minutes later like on the dot it was like another one the exact same I was like okay let me try to go back to sleep and see if another one comes in 10 minutes. And so it was like 10 minutes after like on the dot. And so at like four o'clock, I was like, well, let me just get up and start prepping the house. And so I had like 
really gotten into watercoloring um, my last few weeks of pregnancy. So I had been watercoloring all these different affirmations that I wanted to put up around the house. So I started putting up those affirmations. I had ordered little tea lights that I was going to have in the hospital, but I was having at home. So I went and put those up around the house. Um, I got my like coconut water and all the things that I wanted to have during my labor. Tried to eat a little bit, but it was really hard for me to eat. I was like, I'm not. It's also like yeah. morning. I'm just not hungry. Like, and were you um, like the these contractions coming ten minutes apart? When you like as you're going about you know doing your thing around the house, were you stopping to breathe through them, or could you just kind of keep like kind of blow past them and keep doing what you're doing? But just mm-hmm. they're noticeable and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at this point they were noticeable, but no, I wasn't really needing to stop much um, for the first like hour or two. And so I didn't wake up Peter until around five just to let him know like things are happening. Um, and so, but I said like, go back to sleep. Like this is probably going to be a really long day. So like get your rest. Mm-hmm. And then when you wake up, you know, right. Like the birthing person is like, take your right. time. Just like your get time. up when you need. It's fine. <laughs> I'll be over here. Couldn't go back to um, sleep. I mean, a lot of partners can, but. He did. He did. He went back to sleep. He was like, all right, okay, go, go. Uh, Yeah. So at like seven, he woke up. And when he woke up and came out, I was having a contraction. And that's when they started to get to the point where I was like, I need to stop. I'm not really like talking through this. I'm just like, you know, breathing. Um, and so at that point he sent that picture of like me having this like really intense contraction. You can like visibly see Sadie's outline in my stomach. Um, and he sent that to our doula and to our midwives and just said, Hey, want to let you know, Sienna's like starting labor. And so once they woke up, they gave us a call and, um, you know, said like, let me talk to Sienna so they could hear like what I was sounding like and what the process was like. And, um, kind of reassured us, like, this is probably gonna be a long day, you know, there's a good chance it's gonna slow down. So just keep us updated and um, let us, you know, keep Sienna hydrated and try to stick food in her, her face and let her eat stuff if she can and um, just keep us posted. And so one of the doulas lived, or sorry, one of the midwives lived really close to us. And so she, um, She's like, I'm on my way to San Francisco. I'm just going to pop by and drop some stuff off. And then I'm going to head into the city and y'all keep this posted. So leading up to the, my, my labor, I, we had talked about, you know, dilation and um, she had said like, you know, I really try not to give numbers because I don't want people to get like too attached right to a number. Um, And so you know, I'd said to her, yeah, like, it would be good to know maybe like if I'm making progress. And she said, that's typically what she'll say, like, you're making progress. Um, but I won't give you numbers. So she comes by, drops off some stuff. And she says she's going to do um, check me out manually and um, check out my cervix. And so she looks at me and says, like, this is at 10. And so I started labor around three, it's now 10am. And so she's like, I'm gonna give me a number. Um, and then we'll talk about it. I was like, okay. So she's like, so you're seven centimeters. 
And I was like, yeah, in my head, I was like, yes, let's go. Right. You know, like I now have my first milestone. Like I know something. Yeah. Um, and I'm at seven. So I was like, this is amazing. So she's like, so I'm not going to San Francisco. Right. I'm going to stay right here. Um, and you know, later she ended up saying, she's like, I was so embarrassed. She was in an ice cube t-shirt, which for me is perfect. But she's like, I was not in my like space, right. In my midwifery moment, I came as me, which is exactly what I needed. Um, and so she stayed and at 11 AM, my doula came and the two of them really, you know, both in masks, um, the midwife had on like one of those face shields and a mask on under that. It's hot. So, you know, it's April in the Bay area. It's really, really hot. California, we don't have air conditioning. So it was just, um, it was really hot. And I had, I had gotten a TENS unit. So they had helped me put on that unit to support me through my contractions and, um, at this point, I had really just gone into into myself. I wasn't talking very much, but I was very present. Um, and I felt really grounded in the space. Um, my eyes were closed most of the time. Um, but I could, like, hear and feel everyone's energy around me. So, you know, Peter was making breakfast for himself and the doula and the midwife. And um, they had put music on some nice nineties R and B for me, which is just what I needed. Um, and they really just let me do me like let Sadie move how she needed to let me move the way I needed to. And I did most of my laboring on the living room floor on like a pad that I had, had bought. Um, and she was facing my so her back was against my back her head was down but her back was against my back and so the midwife had said you know we really want to get her to turn around her she should be facing your Mm -hmm. your spine and so that also meant that we had to do a lot of really challenging positions to get her to move um and so i think around two I went into the bathroom and, and um, they wanted me to sit on the toilet, which I knew I was like, okay, this is like a position that a lot of folks labor in some people birth in. And my doula had also said like, before this point, people often think that going into this position, um, we're doing it because it can take some pressure off, but it, it's a really, really intense <laughs> position to sit in. And so when, as soon as I started to go down, I shot right back up and it was like, no, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Because like, you felt the, the pressure weight. in your vagina or in your butt? In my vagina. Most of it I felt in my vagina. So it was just really intense pressure um, and sort of sharp pain in my pelvis and I, that I was just, you know, not ready for. Um, and so I sort of like dug my nails into both Peter and my midwife and they helped lower me down. Um, and so I, I was really processing through, through that piece. Um, and also knowing that they had said when I came off the toilet, I was going to have to get in some positions to really help shift her. 
And so when I came off the toilet, um, we did some with a rebozo. So they had like the cloth around my belly, like shaking, shaking my belly up a little bit. And um, at one point I was upside down, like hanging off the couch with my knees on the couch, trying to get her to shift. Um, the most painful and challenging one for me was honestly just laying on my side. Uh, my midwife had me lay on my right side and I was like, this is like <laughs> most painful and challenging. Um, but they, you know, really needed her to move. And so after that position, I went back in the bathroom to make sure my bladder was empty and it was just me and Peter at this point. And I said, I was talking to Sadie and I said, Sadie, you have two hours Okay, so like you're coming out, we're doing this, I've got you, you've got me. And afterwards, Peter said to me, he's like, when you said that, I was like, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. Really? Got, yeah, he's like, I didn't say anything in the moment, but I, he's like, I just really didn't think. Um, and, but I also had known that they had filled up the tub, which had signaled to me again, like progress is still happening. Um, so I'm going to get in the tub. And so I did, and she checked me, and she was still not facing the direction that they wanted her to. And so, but your cervix um, still opening. Yeah, service was still opening. She just was still back to back with me, and so she shifted her manually. She did it. Um, had me go on my back in the tub and manually um, used her fingers inside my cervix to, to shift her. Wow. Um, and so that was really intense. It was a lot. And at the same time, being in the tub really, really helped me. It was where I had really visioned myself being throughout my, my, um, well, by the time I decided to, to labor at home, um, I always pictured being in the water. And so I stayed sort of in that like frog position, you know, leaning on the side of, of the tub. Um, and I just kept visualizing like my hips opening, my cervix opening, like everything just opening up and shifting her down. And, um, you know, Peter, for the most part, stayed on the outside of the tub and just held my hands in that space. And, I would talk through um, through a lot of my contractions, but mostly did a lot of moaning, um, really melodic vocalizing. So um, as you know, I, I like to sing um, and sing as a young person. And so it came out a lot while I was laboring with her, which was really a beautiful experience for me. Um, and they we had music on and so when a song came on that I knew I would like sing along with it that really helped me process through those moments um and and then the second midwife arrived and I was like aware enough to recognize that and I was like we're getting there because she wouldn't have told her to come <laughs> if I wasn't getting close. And so I got really all these excited. conversations in your head and labor yeah. and you can't like you, you can't vote, you can't say any of it, but you like have all this narrative. It's so funny. Yes, exactly. That that's really, for me, it was like all of the research and learning that I had done before the, that was why I had done it was to have these little indicators of process for myself and progress that would let me know like you're almost there. And so um, 
at this point, I had reached down a few times to feel and see if I could feel anything. And um, because they would say like her head's almost there. And I'm like, I'm not feeling like whatever y'all feel, I am not (laughs) feeling this. And so I would reach down and feel and you know, and I'm like, I get, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't feel anything. Um, but you're telling me that she's lowering. So let's go with it. And so um, it finally got to a point where her head, I could feel her crowning. Um, and the midwives asked oh. Peter, you know, do you, would you like to see? And he, and he's like, yeah, definitely. But I don't think she's going to let me. I'm like, no, 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 go. Like someone else, just give me another hand. I think in the video, you can sort of see me like someone mm-hmm. give me a hand. And um, the, one of the midwives, Kiki came over and took my hand and Anjali is explaining to Peter, okay, like you're going to get in with her. Um, and Kiki is like, but you got to go now. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, whoa, this is coming. We're like, we're going, it's go time. And so Peter, you know, takes off his shirt and takes off his socks and jumps in behind me and sort of gets in that like football receiver stance. And it's so, it was such a surreal experience um, because I had said to myself, and I don't know why this was my processing, but I had said, just, I would just want to get her head out. And I had said to Sadie, like, we're going to get your head out. And then you're going to give me a little break. Okay. It's just like, you get your head out and we're going to take a little break. And then I'm going to, you know, wait through the next contraction. And the the next one that is really useful for me, we're going to get your shoulders out. And I don't know why, like, that was what my steps (laughs) were going to be. But sure enough, her, her head came out and you know Peter's like she's got a ton of hair like she, her head is out I see her and in my head I'm like that's great but I still have some shoulders to go so I'm like okay like you know calming myself down re-grounding myself um and I think you know maybe like a minute passed and then a next like really useful and strong contraction came and I pushed her little shoulders out and she just came fluttering on out you know, facing the direction that we wanted her to face, which was incredible. And, um, and the rest just like, okay, you know, everything just sort of like felt like it drifted off of me. Um, and I felt so like present and in the moment in a way that I didn't expect. I think I've heard for a lot of other birthing people, um, folks will say that they, um, they're really out of it. And I felt very in the moment and present and excited. And I sort of like returned to myself and I was like joking and just felt very me, um, which I was really grateful for. And, and Sadie was very alert when she came out. So her eyes were open and she was sort of just looking around. And um, I kept just saying, no way, no way. Like this is the little person that I've been growing inside of my body for the last you know, nine plus months. And now I get to see you and hold you. And it's really incredible. And, and that it works, you know, like your body works and like the process works and like you did it in like record time as well. It's yeah, 12 hours. She was born at 3.43 PM. Yeah. Which again, was not expecting. I was expecting at least like 20 plus hour. Everyone's like, you know, it's your first birth and it's probably going to take a couple of days. And 
So I was really just prepared for those experiences and, and at the same time doing my best to remind myself that none or all of this could happen for me. Um, and I really need to be ready to just like surrender to my own experience. Mm. And so having watched your birth video, which was incredible, by the way, um, pushing, pushing like the, I, the, when the contraction came on, the urge looked so strong to push. So what did that feel like for you? And how was it different? Like at that point when you felt that like kind of bearing down urge, did you know in your head, like, Oh, like, you know, this is happening and I can push and it's okay to push. And how did it feel different, you know, to the labor contraction sensation? Mm, Yeah. So the labor contraction sensation felt very like tightening of the uterus for me. It felt very central to my abdomen and contained there. I didn't have um, any back labors. I really felt all of the pressure in my stomach. Um, It was really, really intense, but it didn't feel anything like I expected, which I really expected like period cramp type of pain. And that's not at all what I got. Um, and then the, the pushing contractions, I remember very clearly when they started to happen, I was in the tub and, um, my, one of the midwives was sitting in front of me on the couch and I started to like grunt and push a little bit. And I, like my eyes shot open and I looked at her and I was like, Hey, and she was like, I heard you. So again, for me, it was another like, we're, this feels like we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, let me come and check you and make sure it's actually like time for you to start pushing. And and it was, and that felt, um, it, yeah, it, I guess it didn't feel voluntary. It felt very much like my body was telling me this is what I need to do. And I also, because of the knowledge that I had gained leading up to this point, knew that I wanted to utilize that power that was there. Um, And I had, uh, I had watched a a video of this woman who um, had a very different experience and she had, she was really not comfortable in those moments of that, you know, sort of loss of feeling control, like your body's doing this, whether you want it to or not. And so she spent a lot of time like trying to close her legs, like just was not ready to use that. And so I, um, I really was intentional about thinking about that piece before I went into it and being intentional about utilizing that power that my body was giving me to push as much, as much as I could with the energy that I had. And that made me feel really powerful, which, Mm -hmm. um, was pretty dope in a space that can be really scary. So very scary and and feel like a victim of it because it's with no control over it and so it's right. if you make that shift in your mind like no this is this is my body doing it and i'm i'm working with it rather than you know it, it happening to me but um that is amazing what an ex- incredible experience and so how were the first like hours, days, postpartum, like what came up for you? What surprised you? Did you feel you prepped for that as much as you, or you knew as much about that as you had about labor and birth? So the postpartum piece, I mean, a lot of this, again, 
looked very different because of COVID. I think what I had imagined going into it, um, yeah, we just ended up being very different. And and as birth and labor go, it required me to surrender to the experience and sort of let go of some control, which is challenging for me. It's challenging for a lot of people. Um, And at the same time, I had a lot of virtual support. And so I had had two friends who had given birth within the last year. Um, And so it was great to have women who knew the type of support that I might need postpartum. And my doula and my midwives are really intentional about creating a lot of postpartum planning before I got there. Um, Because I know that's a piece that often doesn't exist, especially for birthing people who give birth in the hospital. Um, You like leave the hospital and you're like, good luck. (laughs) See you in six weeks or, you know. Um, So I had really planned to have support with food, which I thought was really important um, for me to not have to think about. Um, And friends had, you know, started a meal train for us, which was really, really helpful. Um, Especially because I had a lot harder of a time in those first three weeks than I expected. Um, I, I think I thought once she was born, it's not that I thought my body would just return to being itself right away, but I don't think I expected to be as like sore and in as much pain as I was right after the birth. I think a lot of what I had heard from other birthing people was after you give birth, um, you're sort of in this high and, and, you know, the pain goes away and, not a lot of discussion around that lingering. Your, your body just went through something that is wholly incredible and new and that it is never, for me, it never gone through before. I think that piece, I remember at the end of my first week, a friend came over with her, one of the women who had given birth recently, um, came over with her husband and their daughter. And I asked her, like, when... Does, when does your pelvis like stop hurting? Like when can I sit down and like walk downstairs and lie on my side? Cause I wasn't prepared for this part. And I, all I wanted to was to like sleep on my side and I couldn't do that. And, and that on top of, you know, not sleeping and learning how to breastfeed and sinking, just sinking with Sadie and, um, and, struggling with her, you know, gaining some weight at right after the birth, um, just all of these added stresses. I think I, I was really, really honest also with, I think something that's really been important for me, um, as women in general with a lot of the different, you know, physical experiences that we have is there's not a lot of transparency, um, within our culture, within media and the way that we engage with each other. And so it's always been really important to me that people are, transparent and share their honest experience with me. And so I said a lot during this first few weeks, like this has been really, really challenging. And I don't know if I want to do this again because of how hard this part is. Um, The newborn period, those first, you know, three to four weeks were really, really hard. Um, And it just almost felt like 
I, I don't know how to like work through. There's no schedule. There's no consistency. It, you just feel like you're sort of drowning a bit and you're sort of at the whim of this, you know, new life that's here. And, and she's just learning how to come into her body. And so, um, I, I wasn't prepared for that part as much of the like postpartum part planning that I did. A lot of it was more around like making sure I had people to reach out to making sure that there was a meal train set up, um, having my midwives scheduled to come and visit me and, you know, getting, um, doing some belly binding stuff and, uh, having sits bath, like those things, but it wasn't a lot about what my body was going to actually feel like and what it would feel like to be in this body and feel like I didn't have control over what, what was happening. It was just like, you need to wake up when she wakes up and you need to like feed her when she needs to eat. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for my partner who really showed up and, and helped take care of us during that time. But it also felt like, how does this make any sort of sense that the birthing person who just carried this child and did this labor and birthed this child is still then the primary caretaker? Like for, I was going very to like a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I don't understand how this makes fucking scientific sense that I then am still the one that has to be the primary, like you know, we talked through that. I was like, it just doesn't, I want to understand from an evolutionary perspective, like how this makes sense because, um, it is so incredibly hard. And, um, and I still am, am, am sort of moving through that, just getting to a place four months later where I feel like I can breathe a bit and I'm starting to get some consistency. Um, but yeah, that postpartum part was a lot harder than I expected. Yeah, it's it doesn't seem sustainable. And it seem it your question is absolutely correct is like how is this how is this the design? Like how do people survive this? And I think you know, not only in our modern world, but especially during COVID, it just becomes very clear that raising a child is not supposed to be an isolated event. And it's it will do more harm than good, especially for mental you know, your mental health. And um, it's just, you know, people say like, oh, you know, you find your, you know, it takes a village to raise a baby and, but you don't always have your village and you don't have your village when there's a pandemic. And so it's, it's really, it's really hard and really shocking. And um, I mean, I, I will say like, there is always a piece in the, you know, childbearing journey or like transition to becoming parents that an unexpected hard turn in, you know, this walk of the labyrinth, you know, of life essentially. And you, you know, on paper had like, you check the boxes of like pregnancy, home birth, like nailed it, nailed it. And now mm-hmm. like that, this was your piece where it was like, that was a transformative, you know, death part to the, to the rebirth of like, you as as a different like you will there there is no more like pre Sadie Siana you know mm-hmm. and, and parts mm-hmm. of her will like come back um, but I think it's just necessary 
to everyone has that moment. And sometimes it comes afterwards and it can be even more shocking because you physically went through the biggest thing that you survived. And now it's like, oh, but now this, why does this piece feel really hard? Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's a lot. And so how, um, I mean, was it just sort of like time just got through, you got through it or was there anything in particular like that helped? Yeah, I I think time was, was the biggest piece. Um, but for me, I mean, similar to it was for me in my labor where I need like milestones, like I need those little like points that I can look to, to know that like progress is happening. Um, and so having the midwives to check in with a text at any point and my doula to like, you know, is this normal? Like, is this healing? Um, I had some minimal tearing. And so, uh, like even just shit like that, where you're like, really like, all this other stuff and now like my labia is stinging and it's like 2 a.m and Sadie is like not latching properly and I'm just like you know um but they recommended for me to get some sun time and and you know sit with with my legs open and let my labia heal um with some exposure to the sun and so Sadie and I at three o'clock every day in the room where um, I did most of my recovery, she and I would have like our sunning hour and like having moments like that in the day, like how, regardless of how little they feel um, that could bring some piece of also scheduling in for me felt really important. And cause I had something to look forward to. It was like this hour of time where she and I were going to lay together with our vulvas like exposed to the sun and just like healing together. And I would put Veep on and we would watch Veep together. Um, And that like moments like that were really, really helpful for me to start to enjoy. Um, And I would try to also take pictures with her during those every day to be like, this is our special time that we're creating for ourselves. And, um, and you're like feeding on me or you're sleeping with me and you're healing with me. And it felt really powerful and grounding for us to have those moments. And I would do what I could to introduce little pieces like that every day Mm -hmm. that helped me sort of feel like I could gain some of regularity um, in this time that felt wholly just like spatial and chaotic. And, and like, I, I kind of was losing myself, uh, mm-hmm. but, but I found some grounding in that. Mm-hmm. Almost like creating little rituals for yourself to mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe rituals a softer word than like schedule because right, right. As you say the word schedule, it just like laughs in your face and like she'll yeah, change yeah. and she doesn't want to lay with you totally. at 3pm anymore, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's, um, yeah. Like that, that sense of a little bit of a, yeah, of a rhythm to your day. And, um, mm-hmm. that's a really good piece of advice, you know, even, if, and just start with one thing, like, just like that, you know, and, and that's, that's a really insightful, helpful tool, I think. Yeah. Especially when, you know, like nightfall for me for those first few weeks was just like dread. Like I, for whatever reason, and, um, Kiki, one of the midwives had, we shared that experience. She said she felt really similarly when she had first given birth to her son, Um, was like, I don't know what it is about nightfall, but 
it just was like, here it comes again. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I think it's because like, it's just you and it's in her and in that for those next, you know, seven to eight hours. Right. Like for us, Peter was sleeping in a separate room because we were co-sleeping together and it was just like so uncomfortable for the three of us to try to be in bed together. And, um, and so, you know, I knew that it was just the two of us and I really didn't have anyone else in those hours to anchor me. And so that was really hard. Um, But I started to build in little pieces within that time where I would um, have our tea lights on in the room and I played rain sounds every night when we would go to bed together. And that really helped to ground me in the space. And, and I would let myself like wake up a little bit at night when I wanted to and put on like, a show or put on nightlife or like, you know, something that I could ground myself in the space a little bit and not feel so just like groggy. And, and the only purpose was just to like get up and, and try to give, you know, a little life to Sadie. And so um, introduce, introducing those practices definitely helped to give me life. And that's interesting that you naturally gravitate towards that because that's a lot of the, I mean, maybe you already know this but, or knew this, but grounding activities, you know, really help with anxiety, especially postpartum anxiety and, and know like, okay, like, what am I hearing? I'm hearing the rain. What am I seeing? I'm seeing the tea lights and what am I, mm-hmm. you know, and it just makes you feel like you're in this world and it's, and you're not sort of like in this abyss and everything is becoming overwhelming. And it, it, yeah, like you said, it grounds you, it plants you and it, it places you, it, it gives you like context and perspective, you know, context when yeah. it's all feeling like too much and scary and overwhelming. Right. Um, so that's sen- sensory things like that. That's so cool that, that you yeah. kind of, yeah, made, made that a part of your, a part of your, you know, ritual. Um, so um, the, the kind of like, you know, real, icing on the cake with your experience which is you know very facetiously is that one month postpartum uh that so not only are we in the pandemic but then um well you lose your job a couple weeks right afterwards yeah and um and also george floyd is murdered and now you are having to be faced with leaving the bay area in order to go to a family residence outside of Minneapolis. So thinking about driving across country with a newborn, there's black lives matter movements happening, riots happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy, <laughs> holy yeah. Yeah. So I like so many times throughout this experience, I have sat back and said like, this is why the universe set me up the way that she did. She was like, look, you're going to need to find out kind of late that you're pregnant and you're going to need to have a really chill pregnancy and you're going to need to have like a relatively short and chill labor because shit is about to be fucked up and you're going to have to navigate through all of it with Mm -hmm. a new life. So, um, so yeah, I, three weeks after I gave birth to Sadie, I was laid off, um, due to the pandemic, 200, of us lost our jobs. And, you know, I, since moving to the tech sector and and for profit sector, I very quickly learned like, 
you are very much a member um, in these big companies. And so I wasn't surprised, nor did I take it personally that I got laid off. And at the same time, you know, our plan going into having Sadie and for for the time after, Peter had left his job so that he could stay at home with her and take care of her full time. So I was the primary income for our household. I was our insurance. I was all of that. Um, and so then I find out we're losing our income. We're losing our health care um, during a pandemic after I've given birth to a baby. So um, I... I operate really well in, in these like high stress situations, I think because I don't, there aren't a lot of options and there's no time to sort of, for me to like wallow in the woe is me moment. It's like, you have shit to do and you need to make decisions. And so you need to figure out what's the next move. And so, um, his parents had offered this cabin to us at the start of the pandemic when I was still pregnant and sort of figuring out like, do I need to get out of the Bay area because we don't know what cases are going to look like. And I really don't, you know, want to minimize my exposure to COVID. So we knew that this was a resource, but really thought we wouldn't have to utilize it. Um, But once I got laid off the idea, you know, of of paying like $2,000 a month when you don't have income for a home in the Bay area um, was just not feasible. So we reached out to his parents and said, you know, we're wondering if we can take you all up on that offer. And they were more than happy to offer this cabin to us and, and also like fly out and help us pack up our house within four weeks and move across the country. Um, and so before the week before we had planned to drive out, we went down to San Inez to visit my parents so they could meet their granddaughter for the first time and spend some time with her. Um, and while we were down there, George Floyd was murdered. And so, um, you know, we were really closely watching what was happening across the country. And of course, this is not the first time that a black man or black person has been murdered by the police. And it's not the first time that the the country has reacted to that in a public way. But this is the first time within, um, you know, my adulthood that we've really seen the country react in the way that it did during this experience, right? It was all I think at by the the end of it, quote unquote, um, we were seeing demonstrations in all fifty states in internationally, and it just um, you know this this black man who did not ask to be a martyr was made a martyr by being murdered by the police in Minneapolis, where we were getting ready to move outside of, um, and so as both as like community activists and. Um, and, you know, folks who have been involved in social justice movement for most of our lives with my husband and I were also reconciling, like, the fact that we couldn't be involved in this moment in the way that we would before we had, you know, brought Sadie into this mm-hmm. world. Um, at the same time, we're preparing to move and our city, Richmond, California, um, was also involved in demonstrations and there was concern around um, people from outside of Richmond coming in and utilizing that as an opportunity to wreak havoc on our city. So um, we made the decision for Peter to drive back up to Richmond and Sadie and I stayed in San Inez with my parents for a few more days um, just to make sure that our house and our community was safe. Mm. And, um, and then my parents drove us up there 
to get ready to pack up and leave. And so we, in that week, decided we had to reroute our plans because we were driving through Salt Lake City and other cities that were really demonstrating and in a way that wasn't going to be safe for us to to drive through. And there were also curfews in place in a lot of the cities. So we also didn't want to get caught in a situation where we were driving into a town um, after curfew. And especially me as like, as a black presenting Mexican woman and carrying with me this, you know, white presenting baby who doesn't have a social security number, who doesn't have a birth certificate. I was like, you know, just on edge, like this is mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did it. We rerouted and and we made the drive in, you know, I think like four days and three nights and landed in a, a rural community in Wisconsin um, that I, I think it's a very different experience because we're here during a pandemic. So we're mostly in the house. We're not going anywhere. And at the same time, I'm very aware that I'm in a predominantly white community that's conservative and, um, you know, there's Trump signs everywhere we go on our drives. And um, I'm holding fear in my body in a way that I haven't in a long time. And I think juxtaposing like living in the Bay Area, which is an epicenter for social justice movement um, against moving to this like hyper rural conservative, predominantly white community. Um, is just a very different experience and I'm aware of how it it's impacting me in relationship also to my daughter and wanting to, um, to do what I can to show up in a way that feels authentic for me, but also having to remind myself, like I need to stay safe, um, and, and carry myself in a way that's non-threatening to people. And, and, you know, all of these things that black people often do without realizing we're doing that. Um, it's very, present for me that I have to operate in a way that makes sure that's safe for me and and safe for Sadie um, to live in this community. And what, I mean, how do you counter like what, you know, counter like all the, the, that you said, the fear that you feel in your body, the fear that you feel in your body, like what are you doing if anything, you know, to, to stay grounded in this moment, in this time and space, because who knows, I don't, I mean, do you have a, a timeline as to how long you think you'll be there for or? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of it again, feels like it's up to the pandemic to let us know like what we're going to do. Um, but our long-term plan is to, continue to move east and land um, maybe like in North Carolina or Georgia um, in a space that feels socially, culturally, and politically aligned with who we are um, and safe for us to be there, especially as an interracial couple. Um, and and then at the same time, it depends on what the economy looks like and whether we're able to get jobs and um, right now I actually started working on the same timeline that I would have started working had I'd stayed with Cruz, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, because of the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and, um, everything that's happening from a 
racial perspective within our country right now. A lot of big companies, small companies, community organizations are like, oh, yeah, we should really look at our diversity inclusion practices and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe start to, like, do something. So Mm -hmm. um, what that's meant for people that do diversity inclusion work is that we are getting bombarded by companies reaching out and wanting to hire folks to help them figure out what they're what they're doing in that regard. And so um, working has helped me a lot to bring again, like a little bit of ritual and rhythm to my days and my weeks and mm-hmm. stimulate my mind and also help me process in a way. Diversity and inclusion work is something that I've always been passionate about and interested in and I've always done wherever I go, but I've never been paid to do it. And so this is the first time I'm getting paid to do the work and that feels really great. Wow. Um, and, and I'm hoping that that allows us to at some point make that long-term move um, hopefully within the next year to land and buy some land and have a home and a little farm um, and, you know, continue to live off the land a little bit. It's something that we've always imagined uh, we could do. And just by chance in the universe and a ton of privilege we've been able to do that now you know living on this little lake we fish and i'm learning how to fish and and uh live off the land a bit which is really wonderful and um and we hope to be able to continue to do so and yeah like i said that that ability to bring some ritual to my life has been really helpful i just started exercising again um, which has been really nice. I really, I'm, I'm not one of those people who like lives to exercise. Um, so it's meant that I have to be super intentional about like finding this app that has 20 minute exercises that I watch and I can do. And, um, and again, like providing space for my body to heal and being intentional about my healing, um, has been really wonderful. At five months postpartum, um, where wait five months yeah four and some change how how is your body postpartum like how is it feeling recovery wise it is pretty good I think there's pieces um I had like a lot of um fluid in my joints and um my like hands and my ankles that stayed with me a lot longer than I thought it was so there's like things like that that I that are still healing um, my knees really hurt <laughs> and like, I just, n- things that I don't think you really think about in being pregnant, you're so focused on your pelvis and your vulva and your cervix and your uterus and, um, your stomach and your abs. Uh, and a lot of that for the most part has healed. I did, I have diastasis recti, so my abdomen is still healing and I'm being really intentional about not, you know, overdoing it so that um, my stomach can heal and that separation can heal um, to support my back because my back is definitely still really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been interesting, I, I think, to reflect on how attached we are to uh, the way that our bodies operate and move and, um, and not really recognizing that how much time, like the fact that it took my body 10 months to grow 
to what it was um, and to support this baby um, and being very, which to me is a like hyper Western mode of like, okay, the baby's out. Let's go. Like, why are we not, <laughs> why are we not back to the way that we were? Right. Like mm-hmm. why do my knees hurt? Why does my back hurt? Um, and not get like, yeah, it's four months. You need to just like take a minute let's calm down and why don't you give yourself minimally the time that it took to get, um, you know, to what it was before you had Sadie to return or get to a space where you can like function close to how, how you were before. And maybe you won't. And, and that can also be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm definitely struggling to like be patient with myself and my body and, and not so much of how it looks, but how it feels mm-hmm. to like slowly get out of bed still and have to roll on my side still to get up and get out and, and being okay and patient with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, I mean, cons- postpartum is considered a year, you know, and as long as you're breastfeeding, you have that lovely hormone relaxin that does exactly what it sounds like. And so you're, everything is still very open and very juicy and limber, but it also can mean that it feels really achy when you pull something or when you move too quickly. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, maybe it's like, that's just the body's way of, of like exactly what you said. It's like, it took 10 months to, to open to that place. And it's going to take as long to kind of close back down. Um, Mm -hmm. if at all, all the way, you know, depending on our lifestyle and, um, but yeah, I think it is, like you said, it's just, we don't, it's an area that we don't really talk about. And also at six weeks, that's the end of your formal care with your Mm -hmm. provider. And, And then there's like, but the rest of the year that you're still truly recovering. And so, um, yeah, thank you for being, transparent about your experience because it's it's hard to go to that place when you're pregnant because that 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 door of of birth is like just so looming and right there and it's hard to look past Mm -hmm. that and it also just doesn't feel real enough to it feels like too much information or something but I think it's as valuable to prepare for that um and and create your own like tradition because like you said in our culture we don't have anything other than you go back to work at six weeks but in many other especially eastern countries you know you don't you don't touch the floor from your bed for the first two weeks you know you don't you don't go outside for a month you don't like there are all these things that are put into place for the very reason of that healing is a big big mm-hmm. deal. right um so yeah it's 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 an ongoing you're still in it yeah yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, well, this has been amazing, Sianna, and you are so wise and so wonderful. And I thank you so much for taking all this time. Sadie was very patient with us. And, and <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I'm so grateful to you for holding this space for those of us that have the privilege to have this experience and, um, for also highlighting the experience of black women and, and women of color who can have a very different experience in reality going through childbirth. And so I'm grateful that you're holding space for us and um, allowing us to, to be amplified.
Thanks for listening to Milk Trails. I'm your host and midwife, Haley Oaks. Be sure to visit midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com to access the show's notes, view photographs, or leave your comments. Stay tuned about new episodes by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and tell all your pregnant friends about it. We'll catch you next time.